I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So it's going to be up on the screen so you can read along. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. People who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since that they may be known about, since they have known about God, it is for that it has been plain to them, since God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged glory, uh, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served created beings rather than the creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their, sim their shameful lusts. Even women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to their deprived minds, so that they would do what ought not to be done. They had been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, and strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful and they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, and they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment onto someone else, for at whatever point you judge one another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or how do you contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not only realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's interesting because we're all here tonight, and all of us are in a very celebratory mood, including myself. And one of the challenges when you, re when you preach through a book of the Bible, you don't really get to decide what passage you're going to preach. Like, I wouldn't have picked the hardest passage in the entire book of Romans to preach tonight. But I didn't have a choice. It is what it is. And so um, we're going to dive in. And, I, and I, the human part of me was like, Lord, Really? And then as I got wrestling with the Lord um, through this passage, believe it or not, in probably the most hopeless-looking passage in the book of the Romans, I found an incredible word of hope that I think really applies to us here tonight. 
And so I'm going to pray once again and ask the Lord to help us here tonight, but then we're going to dive into a very challenging passage of Scripture. Let's pray. Father dear, uh, we just pause tonight, and we thank you for your presence, and we thank you for what tonight represents. We thank you for your word. And we just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you'd help us to understand and wrestle with this text. And ultimately, Lord, see that you do love us. And ultimately, sometimes we have to go through some challenging circumstances in order for us to experience your presence. And so, Lord, I just pray you'd speak through me tonight and allow your word to penetrate hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do you hear when you hear a chapter like Alex just read? What, what do you hear when you hear a passage like that? I think a lot of us hear like judgment, wrath. We get this picture of maybe like a, like a hellfire preacher. And it kind of like, it can be a turnoff for us, right? Like what's your reaction when you go to the scriptures, whether you're reading something from the Old Testament or you grab Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, and you read it and it's, it's weighty. Like what is your initial reaction to a passage like that? And I think for a lot of us, it's scary and confusing and unsettling in some ways. And we really have a hard time with passages like that. And I think there's a lot of people that they read a verse or a few verses like that out of the whole Bible, and they kind of push God away, saying, if that's what God is like, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I think a lot of us read a passage like that and we think God is like the Incredible Hulk. Always angry. Right? And we're trying to like do whatever he can to dodge God so he doesn't like smite us. And I think what often happens is someone grabs a verse or a section of scripture like that. And they're actually not reading the whole story. They're just kind of picking out an aspect. Or, worse, they're actually misinterpreting what the Scripture actually means. And I think with Romans chapter 1, the section that Alex read for us tonight, I think it's so easy to misinterpret what this passage actually means. And so we're going to dive into it a little bit tonight. But I think a lot of people read a passage like this or something maybe from the Old Testament and they see a passage about the wrath of God and they paint this picture of what they think God is like. They paint this picture of God being cold, very punitive, distant, and far off, and out to get us. That's the God that, there's many people that reject God because they think that God is like that. And frankly, I reject a God that's like that. It's interesting, in Alpha this week, we, um, for those of us in Alpha groups, Nikki Gumbel was talking about how there's people that sometimes describe to him what they think God's like, this cold, mean, punitive God. And Nikki said, like, I don't believe in that God either. The truth is, the God that people describe and reject that are in the world that maybe don't believe in Jesus, that's actually not what God's like. And they'll take a passage like this and misinterpret it and to think that God is like this when he's actually not like that. 
It's like you read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, and you forget about the rest of the book of Romans. You know, as a pastor, I absolutely love it when someone asks questions. Whenever I get a question about the Bible, and this past week, I had someone ask me a question about this particular passage of Scripture. Someone literally asked me about Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. And the question I got in a text message was, who was Paul talking about? Because we know that Paul wrote the book of Romans. Who was Paul talking about? These people that described in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. Well, he was describing people that didn't have Christ. Kind of like people like you and I at one point in time. But he was also talking about people that in, in the time when Paul wrote this letter, they were rejecting God. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. And so Paul was trying to explain to them their condition, their state, their problem. Now, there's a little bit of a difference between the audience that Paul had in the book of Romans and the audience that we have. You see, in 2022, our culture is a little bit different than the audience was like 30 A.D., 50 A.D., 70 A.D. Most of them all believe that God existed. In our culture in 2022, that's highly and hotly contested. The audience in Paul's time believed that God was holy and that they were not. Where are, are, in 2022, how many times have you heard someone say, but I'm a good person? Right? And I, I don't mean to offend anyone, because I don't like offending people, by the way. But the Bible actually says that we're not. <laughs> I was having a discussion with someone about that. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that we're in need of this right relationship. But our culture isn't convinced of that, because we think we're close with God. It's like a new age movement that feels like, you know, we're close to God, and, 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 that, and that we're good inherently. But the Bible actually teaches different. And so... That's some of the tension as we come into a passage of Scripture like that, and we're really confused, and we don't know what to do with it. Um, part of that issue is because, like, we misread the Scripture. We come in and misread the Scripture, and when you misread Scripture, you actually misinterpret what God is actually like. And so we need to just, like, pause when we come to a passage of Scripture like this. Don't give up. Don't throw the Bible in the wood stove. That's not a good thing to do. When you come to a passage like this, take a deep breath, pause, ask the Spirit, saying, God, help me to see your heart in all this. Because the truth is, this really challenging passage of Scripture shows me something incredible about the heart of our God. So let's kind of jump in here to this here a little bit. The first thing that I notice about this passage of Scripture that's really, really clear and foundational is that God's existence is actually plain. Like the fact that a God actually exists that created everything, it's not a complex thought. It's actually, the Bible says it multiple times in this first few verses. It says, God has made it plain. Let's see what the scripture says here. It says, since what may be known about God is what? What's that word? Plain to them. And like the Lord really wanted to make this clear. He says it in the same verse. Because God has made it what? Plain to them. It's repetition. So this idea that a God created the universe in creation, that a God exists, a God over everything, it's not a complex idea. 
The scripture tells us that it's actually plain. It's a simple concept. There is a God who exists. When you look around at creation, and I know we have a lot of fishermen in our church, when you're out on the water and you see the wonder of creation, like how many are convinced that someone designed the world? It just just didn't go poof and come into existence. Someone knew what they were doing, right? How many of y'all are convinced of that? That the universe is actually fine-tuned. And so what Paul was saying, what God is saying is like, this reality that God exists is actually plain. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 20 says, instinctively, every single human being, deep down, knows there is a God. And I say this with no disrespect to atheists, people that don't believe in God, but atheists are people that don't believe in God, but God doesn't believe in atheists. Because the Bible actually teaches us that deep down inside, instinctively, we all as human beings, we know that God exists, that someone created everything. And despite us knowing that God existed, despite us knowing that reality, we all as human beings chose to do something very significant. We chose to worship creatures and created things instead of God the creator. We chose to worship created things instead of the creator who made us all, that we were all convinced that exists. And so the Bible says this, this, this word that is, makes us kind of wrestle in our seat and twitch a little bit. We get maybe a little bit hot. This word wrath comes. So what do you do with that word when you come across it in Scripture? Well, let me just kind of explain this because there's something here. Wrath is a consequence. It's not an emotion. You see, God created us to have a job and a function and a role. God created us to steward the earth to worship and praise him. But ultimately, we didn't do that. We started worshiping other things and fulfilling our own desires. And when we fulfill our own selfish desires, it leads to destruction. And ultimately, it leads to death. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Here's the reality. If we give ourselves to our own selfish desires, we will destroy ourselves. So wrath in this passage of Scripture is not God sending fire from heaven to to smite us. Wrath in this passage of Scripture is being handed over to our own destructive decisions. The Bible says actually three times in verse 24, 26, and 28, it says God gave them over. You know, we have a Bible study here Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. that you're welcome to join in the book of Romans. And we kind of pointed out that anytime there's repetition in the scriptures, you want to kind of take note of it. And three times in this passage of scripture, the Bible says God gave them over. So, was, so God's wrath actually comes in the form of God giving us over to our own decisions. And we experience the consequence of our own decisions. And before all these words God gave them over, it says, therefore, because, 
So, God gives us over because we've done something. We've all done something. So why did God give us over? It's because of idolatry. The key issue in this whole passage of Scripture is this old word called idolatry, which sounds really, really ancient. Like back in the Old Testament, they had this thing called um, idolatry where they like made a golden calf and they bow down and worship it. And you think, man, that's happened in the Old Testament. That's like 4,000 years ago. What does that have anything to do with 2022 today? Well, let me ask you the question. Do you think that we worship idols in 2022? Hmm? You see, each and every one of you in this room, you will worship something because each and every one of you in this room, every one of you were created to worship. So it's not a matter of if you will worship, okay? You will worship. The question is this. What will you worship? The Bible says that these group of people, which included me and us here today, the Bible says that instead of worshiping God, we worshiped images made by man. Verse 25 nails it on the head. It says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. You see, idolatry is just simply this. It's giving control of our time, our talent, and our treasure to something else other than God. The, the key question about idolatry is this. What comes first, God or that thing, that created thing? So what are some idols today? Success. How many of y'all are addicted to success? Power. Control. Sports. Might have stepped on a few toes there, including my own. Sex. Image. Entertainment. Let me ask you a question again. Do you think we worship idols here in 2022? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, in or- and here's the problem with idolatry, worshiping that stuff. It actually enslaves our hearts. And we can't get free from that. There's nothing we can do to break free from that idolatry to success or, or, or power or control. We don't have the ability to break free from it. We're stuck in it. And so in order for us to experience the freedom from the idolatry that has riddled this world is for God actually to hand us over to our own destructive decisions. And he does that, why? To convince us we actually need to be saved. And we're really hard people to convince. And a lot of us have to come to the very end of ourselves we totally mess up our lives like I did and have an absolute train wreck of a life, we realize, man, I don't make good decisions. These idols have actually wrecked my life. I am broken. I'm filled with guilt and shame and brokenness. And I need someone to rescue me because I can't do it anymore. And so 
Yes, God reveals his wrath, but in Romans chapter 1, you know what the wrath of God is? You know what it is? It's handing us all over to our own destructive decisions. And God does that. Why? To convince us that we need to be saved. That's the message of Romans chapter 1. And so many of us misinterpret God as this doomsday God. But God loves us so much, he's willing to let us go through suffering so we'll come to the point we realize that we all need a Savior. We need to be rescued. And a lot of people are like me. They need a lot of convincing. And so the consequences of our own decisions actually are what leads us to this repentance. So consequences that from our own destructive decisions are actually a grace in disguise. C.S. Lewis said this quote, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. In the end, in eternity, we all get what we want. Whatever we wanted on this earth, in the end, we all get it. If your heart passion in life was to get success, money, fame, image, if that's what you wanted your whole life, at the end when you stand before God, like, that's what we're all going to get. But, but if you kind of, as you go through life and you come to the point where you're like, Jesus, like, my life's broken and, and I need to be saved and I want to put you first and I want, I want you to give me your desires and your heart and your passion, Ultimately, in the end, C.S. Lewis was saying, like, we all get what we really, deep down in our hearts, really want. So the question for each and every one of us tonight is this. What do you really want in the deepest part of your heart? Are you trapped by these idols that control your time, talent, and treasure? I just want to try to convince you that there's many of us that are, and it just leads to destruction. And God is saying, like, I'll allow you to go through that so you can be convinced yourself that you actually need me. But the good news is not all of us have to go to the absolute bottom. We can recognize our tendencies now and come to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, like, I need you to save me. Because the reality is this, is that while the wrath of God is mentioned in Romans chapter 1, it's not the focus. The book of Romans is all about the good news of Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. It's the power to rescue us from who? Ourselves. Jesus died and suffered on the cross and took our sins to the cross so we could actually experience freedom from ourselves, from our own destructive decisions. So the consequences you and I experience are actually a grace in disguise, a blessing in disguise. Because our consequences brings us to our brokenness. And our brokenness brings us to the point where we're like, God, I am broken, and I need to be rescued. And at one point in time of our lives, I believe God leads us all to that point where we quickly realize we need a Savior. We need someone to rescue us. And I think about my own story, and my own poor decisions, and how God led me to the point where 
I was quickly convinced that I just couldn't do life. That I was in utter darkness. That I needed someone to rescue me. I'm going to get the band to come up at this time. And when I was 18 years old, I was absolutely miserable. I was so convinced of all my bad decisions and all my poor choices. And you're thinking, dude, you're only 18. How many bad decisions you can, can you make? A lot. Y'all were 18. Lottie is in this room, right? How many know with the time you got to 18, you made a lot of poor decisions? And if you're old than that, you made even more probably. Right? Right? Okay, just checking. But I look back at my life now, and I look, about, I look back and how miserable I was as an 18-year-old, like stricken with guilt and shame, not knowing any direction for my life. Like, like I was just so lost and so broken. But God actually allowed me to, he handed me over to some of the stuff this passage talks about. God handed me over to that because he knew by handing me over, I would come to the conclusion that I needed to be rescued. And don't mistake this one I'm about to share to you. God has handed some of you over so that you'd experience the consequences of your own actions. So that you'd be convinced, because some of us are really stubborn, right? So you'd actually be convinced that you need Jesus. That you'd actually be convinced that you need a Savior. And there's people's stories in this very room here tonight. Similar to mine. You had to go the long way around in life. You had to get brought to a place of brokenness, of poor decision-making, before you came to the spot where you realized, I need Jesus. And there's stories in this room here tonight of people who made that decision, and Jesus has come in and forgiven, taken away the sin, and transformed lives, and that's the hope that we have in Jesus. You see, there's hope in God giving us over to our own selves and our own decision-making because we become convinced that we need Jesus. And there's good news that God 2,000 years ago sent his one and only son because he loves you. Not because he's this doomsday God out to get everyone. God gave the thing that was most precious to him for you and for me so that if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven for all of it. And you can have his presence living on the inside of you. You can be a different person. But you've got to be convinced that you actually need him first. God wants to humble our hearts. Bring us to the point where we recognize we need a savior. There's probably three groups of people in this room here tonight. The first one are those that have already made that decision. God's rescued you, and your response tonight is just to praise God, saying, God, I was a sinner. I was in utter darkness, and I thank you that you delivered me and rescued me. So your application tonight is worship when we sing this song here in a second. Sing out, and not just sing out. Testify and say out loud to other people about the changing work God has done in your life. That's the first group. The second group are those of us that are at the end. We've made so many poor decisions. 
And God has handed us over, and we're convinced, okay, you win, God. I need a Savior. And for those of you in that category, I just encourage you, come, front, come up front for prayer and saying, I need Jesus Christ to come into my life. I need you to pray for me. I'm, just, I'm feeling at the end of myself. Would you just help me to, to make that decision to cross over? And the third group of people in this room tonight are those of y'all that aren't convinced yet that you need to save him. I'm praying for you, and we're praying for you. And I would just caution you tonight, don't wait till you get to rock bottom. Although most of us need that, Christ is offering himself to you today. Whoever believes in me will never perish, but will have everlasting life. And I'm thankful today that Jesus came into my darkness and he changed my life and he wants to do it for every single person who would believe. Would you stand to your feet?